Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for May 30th, 2022. As we read various comments from Federal Reserve officials, it appears that the Fed is making no bones about it. The drive to bring down inflation by raising interest rates will result in some financial pain. We can't help but wonder how much financial pain for consumers will the Fed tolerate? And if the pain gets too bad, will the Fed be able to manage it? I'm Phil Adler. Here to discuss these questions and the challenge for investors is Confluence Investment Management Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady. Bill, Fed Chairman Powell mentions the state of financial conditions when he discusses data the Fed follows. He certainly pays attention. Let's examine what he is looking at exactly. How do you measure financial conditions? Well, there are several ways, but ultimately, a complete measure looks at a number of financial factors. First, you start with levels, such as the level of the dollar, the level of interest rates, the level of the stock market, financing of housing, that sort of thing. And then you move on to second-order effects. Second-order relationships are monitored. These are things like credit spreads, volatility measures, cross-currency rates. Finally, some include financial sentiment indices, such as bull bear surveys or the number of times the term bear market is searched on search engines. In general, the broader the index, the less timely it is. So some indices, like the Bloomberg Financial Conditions Index, is calculated in real time, but is limited to variables that can be captured in real time. For example, they could not really capture survey data. I tend to look at several. The more timely ones serve as barometers, the broader ones as confirmation. Now, does the Fed have a policy of trying to manage financial conditions? Well, in a sense, yes. The original reason for the existence of central banks is to prevent bank runs, which is really a breakdown in the credit function. In the modern financial system, bank runs can come from a variety of sources. A good financial conditions index warns when a breakdown in the credit function is likely. One index that's widely followed is the one out of Chicago, the Chicago Federal Reserve Index on Financial Conditions. Now, according to this index, what is the present state of financial conditions and and how do they compare to the last 50 years or so of the American economy? They're currently not at a problem level. In general, any reading above zero is a cause for concern. We are seeing conditions deteriorate, but they are not at a level that historically would be considered worrying. And compared to the 1970s or 1980s, frankly, they're quite tame. And you say there are lots of variables. The Chicago Index has 105 variables. Of these, how important are interest rates? Very important, but the most important are not treasury or policy rates, but the rates on credit. When those rates start to rise above treasuries, it's a warning sign of stress. What is the history, Bill, of the correlation between interest rate policy and financial stress? Well, that is the most interesting part of my research. From the early 1970s, when the index was first formulated, until mid-1998, the correlation between financial conditions and the policy rate was very tight. In effect, when the Fed tightened policy, financial conditions almost instantly weakened. When rates fell, conditions improved. That relationship broke down completely by mid-1998. And why? Why did the correlation change then in the late 1990s? Well, I postulate there were two changes that occurred that caused this correlation to deteriorate. 
The first was the expansion of the non-bank banking system, sometimes referred to as the shadow banking system, that stemmed from the deregulation of the financial system, which began in the early 1980s, but culminated with the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act of 1998. That ended the distinction between commercial and investment banks. After that legislation, all sorts of new entrants entered the financial markets, making collateral loans without ties to the Fed system. Thus, when the FOMC raised rates, this non-bank system continued to lend, and when a crisis hit, the non-bank system could not tap the Fed's safety net. The second factor was increasing transparency of monetary policy. When I started in the financial services industry in 1986, the Fed told nothing about what they did. You had to divine a policy change uh, by actions of monetary policy. For example, were reserves added or reserves drained? Increasingly, over the 1990s, the Fed started making statements about policy actions. Now we're to the point where there's a press conference after each meeting. We live in a society that values transparency. But when policymakers signal what they're going to do, markets adjust to offset or protect themselves from their actions. Imagine what baseball would look like if a catcher yelled out the pitch to the pitcher. Hitting, obviously, would improve. But the game would be far different. That's kind of what we have now. In summary, prior to 1998, the credit function was dominated by commercial banks. Banks reacted to changes in the policy rate, and thus financial conditions closely tracked the policy rate. When the policy rate rose, banks lent less and charged more to borrowers. In a financial system dominated by non-bank financial system, the reaction function is quite different. Lenders will tend to address risk through derivatives, which means they will tend to be less sensitive to policy actions. This use of insurance, which is what a derivative is, benefits greatly by the Fed telegraphing its policy actions. Imagine being able to buy flood insurance up to the point when the National Weather Service warns of heavy rain. The run occurs when insurers, the insurer of derivatives, the issuer of derivatives, either stops issuing insurance or starts demanding a high price or in worst cases fails. That's ostensibly what happened in September of 2008. That's why, since 1998, financial conditions seem to go from manageable to crisis in short order. And consequently, it takes a while for faith in derivative writers to be restored, which is probably why, after easing occurs, it takes a long time for financial conditions to normalize. So, can we say that before 1998 or so, the Fed could be confident that a decrease in interest rates would reduce financial stress? But that is no longer true. That's precisely the case I am making. In fact, if you look at the situation in 2008, the Fed had to cut rates to zero and add reserves through quantitative easing and do it for years before financial conditions improved to pre-crisis levels. The Fed has lost control of financial conditions. Ukraine war, the pandemic, the supply chain problem, would, would you say these are all contributors to financial stress that are not subject to Fed influence and are immune to changes in interest rate policy? Yes, but this is a somewhat different issue. The problem of financial conditions now is that they tend to deteriorate almost without warning. So all these issues you raise could be a problem, but may affect the financial system all at once. Bill, Fed Chairman Powell says the underlying strength of the U.S. economy remains very good. He cites retail sales, consumer balance sheets, and well-capitalized banks, and says the economy appears well-positioned to withstand tighter monetary policy. But at the same time, Powell acknowledges that financial conditions have tightened significantly, in his words. 
And lately, there do appear to be signs of stress. Recent sales data from some well-known retailers and data suggesting that consumers are dipping more into credit in order to pay bills. How would you describe the present state of the U.S. economy? Well, right now, the economy is doing just fine. The problem is that it might not be doing fine at some point in the future, and that point may come quickly if financial conditions deteriorate rapidly. Here's an example. In August 2008, at the FOMC meeting, and this is according to the full transcripts of the proceedings, which were released five years after the meeting is held, the committee was poised to start raising rates. Now, keep in mind, this is August of 2008. There was a heated debate at the time as to whether or not the economy was even in recession. Within a month, Lehman collapsed, and we were facing the worst downturn since the Great Depression. Things can go bad fast. Bill, your comments are, are raising my worry level. What worries you most about Fed policy measured against the present deteriorating trend in the financial conditions data? Well, I am always on the lookout for where a breakdown can occur, but I have to say, even if you get the source right, the timing is easy to miss. We all know of analysts and, and strategists that can sound like Cassandras that are always warning of a calamity that never seems to happen. There are two areas I'm, I'm focusing on now. One is I'm watching the crypto market and the other is housing. The former is facing all kinds of stress, but if that stress doesn't bleed into the conventional financial system, it probably won't be a big deal. On housing, I worry that we've seen home values rise so quickly that a year or two of no appreciation will weaken the wealth effect and severely have an adverse impact on the economy. But I will also tell you, the source of the crisis could come from somewhere else. Or I may have the sources right, but maybe nowhere close to being correct on timing. The Fed has made it clear that it's not interested in propping up the stock market, that inflation is its key concern. What should we investors be watching for in the next quarter or so, and how should we position our portfolios? Well, we have already begun the process in our asset allocation portfolios of reducing our equity exposure. We've taken a tilt within the equities that we hold to more defensive sectors. I suspect we're going to see more of the same if current trends continue. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. We wish to state that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.